Hey, good morning. Our series is called Stand Up, and today we're going to a little bit of a controversial place. That's not exactly true. We're going to a whole lot of a controversial place. Because my question for you today is, do you have the courage to stand up for what you believe? We're living in a culture today where nonconformity is almost completely unaccepted. You have to accept the party line. You have to believe what's politically correct. And God help you if you step outside the lines and you don't go with what's commonly thought. The only problem with that is those of us who are God followers are called to march to a different drummer. And as we saw in week one, Jesus had a comment about this world. Remember, he said, I am come to set things right side up. Inferred in that, actually clear in that, is this is a world that is upside down. And we know, of course, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is not in control of our world. Someday he'll be king of kings and lord of lords. But right now, it's in the management of one called Satan, because Jesus called him the prince of this world. In another place, the Bible calls him the prince of the power of, this, of the air. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, they basically surrendered control, kingdom authority that God had given to them, to us by extension. And they surrendered it over to the enemy. And since that time, the world system has been upside down. This is why in the Bible, time and time again, we're told not to love this world system. Certainly, we're to love the people in the world, but not the system. And there is a system of this world. Because it's upside down, the issue is that oftentimes the people that are in the system think the world is right side up. And when God weighs in on something, God's views seem to be upside down. And when we articulate those views, or when we agree with those views, we are going to be viewed sometimes as being out of step, politically incorrect, unacceptable views, and words like hateful, bigotry, and all kinds of things get thrown at us to get us back into line, to get us walking back in political correctness. Well, today, I want to take you to a place in the Bible, because for those of us who are God followers in 2010, in which we live, we can wrestle with, when do I stand? What is the time to go to the wall for what I believe? And I know that the situation has been complicated because we've gotten years of something called the religious right. That was a moniker given to those who tended to be religious or people who believed in God. And at, at times, the religious right got into bed with politics. And history, if history teaches us anything, it teaches us that that's going to be a problem. Some of what happened was good. Some of what happened was counterproductive. And because of that, many of us are almost like standing on the periphery wondering, when do I speak up? When do I stand up for what I believe? And my guess is here, in this service today, there are some of us who were quiet at a moment looking back, we knew we should have spoken up for God. And some of us, God forbid, but some of us have actually said we believe things we don't believe in order to get along, in order to be politically accepted. And some of us have actually begun to be a little bit brainwashed with the times. What a scary thing that is, because I got to tell you, this world is not going to stay upside down forever. There is coming a time when it's right side up. And guys, I got to tell you, I had so rather be politically correct five seconds after I die than to be politically you know, correct in this world that's already upside down. So like I said, today's talk is dangerous. Today's talk is going to be for the courageous. And if you're squeamish, well, like Lance said, you should just buckle your seatbelts this morning because we're going to talk straight in, our, in the world that we live in. 
Thankfully, we're going to be able to go to school on some guys who were in a situation real similar to us, and they lived a couple thousand plus years ago, actually going on to about 2,500 years ago. And these young men found themselves in a situation where they had to decide when do we stand up for what we believe. I want to do something I don't often do. I want to read pretty much a whole chapter of the Bible because as we go forward, I'm going to refer back to the story, and I want you to know that this stuff is in the Bible when I make the reference points. I'm in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel is one of the most important books in your Bible. It's very important because not only are there wonderful narratives that are great examples for life, but there are prophecies that not only relate to Jesus coming the first time, but there are prophecies in the book of Daniel that are going to, that are going to coach us up for what's going to happen in the future. This is a very, very important book. For instance, many of us are, are interested in the book of Revelation, but it's a very difficult book to figure out. Daniel is pretty much the key to understanding Revelation. Huge book. We'll save that for another day. But for right now, let's just read Daniel chapter 3. King, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to, high, to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the principal officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or national language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. See, he did at that time. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us or to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turban, robes, and other garments. 
And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or national language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, boy, this guy's very dramatic, they'll be torn limb from limb and their houses turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. I'll give you about 10 facts here real quickly. By the way, are you ever nervous when a minister has 10 points? <laughs> Scares me to death. I grew up in church and I just, uh, 10 points is a lot of points. Three is about all I can remember. But I want to give you 10 facts about this story that are going to be important and salient to you in 2010. Here's the first fact. Life had put these guys in a place where they were in the minority. Let, let me tell you what I mean by that. This morning, if you're a God follower, you're in relatively a safe place because many, if not most of the people here are God followers. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're not going to get a lot of protest here because most of us believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe the Bible is the Word of God, you're in a safe place today. You could articulate that, and most of the people around you are going to agree. They're going to nod. But I want to tell you, it isn't going to take most of us too many hours before we're going to be in places where those views are very much in the minority. Many of us are headed for the classroom tomorrow, and we're certainly those views are not going to be in the majority. Some of us are just going to be with our family, and those views are going to be held by only a few people. Every once in a while, life is going to put us in a place where we and what we believe are very much in the minority. In these particular three guys' cases, they were living in a place called Babylon. That should stand out to us because these were not Babylonians. They were Jewish young men. And because of their previous generations, they had found themselves in captivity. In fact, the second most important, the second fact that I want to give you this morning is that these men were in captivity, these young men were in captivity because their parents' generation and grandparents' generation had not stood up for God. I'd said when I got ready for this message for the last three weeks, I really wanted to see those of you who were young be here in this service because my prayer and my concern for America and for the world is that there would be a generation of young people and young adults who are not ashamed to stand up for what they believe. Because unfortunately, those of us in our generation and previous generations have handed you a world that's not a very good world. You know, I, I think about my generation and its effect, and, and I want to say to all of you who are especially under 35 today, I am sorry for the world my generation has handed you. I'm sorry we've handed you a world of no-fault divorce. 
there was a time when if people wanted a divorce, they had to go to court and show cause why a divorce was needed, but not today. I'm sorry that we've handed you that world. I'm sorry we've handed you a world in which genders and roles are confused. I'm sorry that we've handed you a world that worships the almighty dollar. And that's what happened to these three guys. Their parents' generation had had prophets tell them over and over that if they did not respond to God, they were going to go into captivity. And indeed, that happened. These, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm guessing were somewhere between the ages of 15 and 17 when they were taken into captivity. And they were taken to a place called Babylon. Now, I don't want to get too much into symbolism here today, but Babylon is an interesting power in the Bible. Babylon isn't just a geographic location. The term Babylon, the name Babylon, represents a way of thinking. Babylon is found in the book of Genesis, beginning in Genesis chapter 11. That's the first time we find it mentioned. And it's also found in the book of Revelation. Babylon at the beginning was founded by a man by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod was an atheist. He did not believe in God. God was not a useful hypothesis for him. And so he gathered people around him in his culture that flipped God off. And if you read Genesis chapter 11, this culture that he founded, it wanted to unite the world against God. One people united against God, and they were going to build a tower as a symbol of of their way of thinking. When you read Genesis 11, you'll discover that as they tried to build this tower, God confused the languages so that they could not understand each other. Then when you go to the book of the Revelation, the Bible tells us that in the last days there is going to be a world power in which all the nations of the world will unite against God. Guess which name God in the Bible calls this system? Babylon. You can read about it in Revelation 17 and 18. So the very concept of Babylon has been all the nations of the world united against God. And that's where these three young Jewish men found themselves. Now, Babylon as the conquering power saw themselves as fairly benevolent. What they wanted to do is they wanted to find the best and brightest young people, bring them into their culture, and teach them the ways of the Babylonians. They wanted them to learn to eat their food, learn their language, go to their university. For one thing, they wanted the best minds of conquered powers to serve the Babylonian empire. But beyond that, they wanted these young people to be so brainwashed in the Babylonian system that they would go back among their own peoples as sort of missionaries of the Babylonian way. And that's where these three guys found themselves, 15 to 17 years of age, taken away from their families, taken away from their cultures because their parents' generation had refused to stand for God, and now here they are in a world that is totally opposed to God. Every once in a while, you and I are going to find ourselves in that place. We're going to find ourselves in situations in which we're the only God follower around us. We're the only Christ believer in our situation. We may be the only person who believes that God created the world. We may be the only person who believes in, you know, gender situations that God has set up and established. We may be the only person who believes that. What do you do when you're in an environment where you're the only person who is a God follower? So many times in in the years that I've pastored, I've had people come to me and say, Mark, would you pray for me that I can get a different job? Mark, would you pray for me that God would put me in a different circumstance because I'm the only God follower there? For those of us who are in that scenario, has it ever crossed our minds that God may have strategically placed us where we are? What do you do when you're the only God follower there? Could I just ask you to start with this? Do your job. Do your job. 
work hard. These three young men did exactly that. Sure, they had rather be back in Israel. They had rather be back in Jerusalem. But life found them in Babylon. Life put them in a situation where they were asked to go to the Babylonian University, learn the language, learn the customs. And the one thing that I'm impressed with about these young men was they gave it their very best. So much so that by the time you get to chapter 3, which is really about 20 years after they were taken into captivity, I'm guessing they were in their mid-30s at this point, they had been so promoted that they were actually governors over provinces in Babylon. Think about that. Life had put them in a strange place, but they just gave it their best. How many of us know God followers who want to speak up for God, but they're lazy? How many of us who are around them wish they would just shut up sometimes? You know, don't say anything. If you're lazy and you don't do your job and you're always criticizing the boss and everything, you don't need to stand up for God. You just need to be quiet. See, those of us who are God followers need to realize this, that we're placed in this world to make a difference, and we need to earn the right to stand up for our faith by being everything that we should be. I know a young man who was a high schooler, and he was assigned to read a particular book. And this book has been on the reading list in schools and universities for about the last 50 years. It was a shock book. It had a lot of profanity and just a lot of you know, gutter stuff, and wasn't particularly well written. It's the kind of thing the pseudo-intelligentsia love. And, and it's been assigned for years. And this young man got assigned this book, and he tried to read it, but there was just so much profanity. I mean, just, it was just so trashy that he went to his principal and, and, and asked what could be done about it. The first thing the principal did was to pull his transcript. And when he pulled the transcript, he saw that this young man, every grade he had in every grading period was an A. He had nothing but A's. And the principal looked at this young man. He said, well, you certainly have given this your best. We will assign you a different book, a book that you can read. Guys, I'm just telling you, this whole sermon is about standing. It is about standing up for what you believe. But all I'm saying is if you're a God follower, earn the chips earn the situation so that when you have to stand up, people will not look at you and say, well, she doesn't give it her best, or he's always complaining and gripping and criticizing. You know, work hard. That's what these guys did. And then beyond that, one thing I like about these guys is, is they didn't make it personal with the people who didn't agree with them. I've met Christians before that had an air of superiority about them, as if I'm better than other people who don't believe in God. I'm better than other people who don't believe in Jesus. How wretched is that attitude? Let me be honest with you today. If it were not for the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, I would go straight to hell. I am the first person to know that. There is nothing good in me outside of Jesus. How dare I act superior around somebody who is not a God follower? And I know people that because they're, not God, because they're God followers, they're like constantly in conflict. They're always wanting to argue religion with other people. What a wretched mistake that is. One thing I love about these guys is they didn't go looking for conflict. Everything they possibly could do to avoid conflict, they did. Let me give you an example. When these three teenagers were taken over to Babylon, you know the first thing that happened to them? They had their names changed. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those of us who grew up in Sunday school or grew up in church and learned their names. But these were not their given names. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All three of those names are something good about God. The Lord helps. 
who is like our God. The Lord is great. That's what their names mean. But they got over to Babylon and the Babylonians said, we can't call you by those names. And I'll tell you what they did that kind of like poured salt in the wound. They took names that had to do with Babylonian gods that were similar to their Jewish names. Because one of the boys was named who is like Jehovah is. And they changed his name to who is like the moon God is. So it wasn't just we're changing your names. It was like we're changing your names in a way that's going to be insulting. Now, you know what? Those three boys could have done what a lot of Christians do. They could have gone on strike. They could have carried signs. They could have put bumper stickers on their cars, which I guess is nothing wrong with that. But they didn't. They just said, okay, you know. And and here's the thing. We we we, We can't change what people call us. You know, it wasn't a personal battle with these guys. Change our names. We know who we are. We know what our names are. See, here's the thing that I love about these three guys. If it was personal, if, if they were suffering because somebody had a different way of thinking, they weren't going to get into a fight because it wasn't about them. Remember this. These three guys never stood up until it was a choice between God and the way the world thought. If it was personal, and here's the next thing that I find interesting. They went as far as they could to be conciliatory. If they could find a creative way to avoid tension, they did it. There was a situation early on in which the Babylonians demanded that they eat the meat, eat the food, drink the wine, because after all, the king wanted these young men to be in good shape. He wanted them to have a very healthy diet. The only problem was the wine and the food had been dedicated to idols, and these three young men, along with their friend Daniel, they knew they couldn't do that. So what did they do? They went to the man who was in charge of them. There was a Babylonian steward who was in charge of all these young recruits. And they said to him, sir, we really can't do this. And the man said, you're going to get me in trouble because you're expected to eat this fine diet and you're expected to look good. And if you don't look good, the king is going to have my head. So here's what they did. They found a creative way. They said, well, let's just propose a test. For 10 days, let us just eat vegetables and drink water and take a look at us. And if we don't look good, then we'll talk about it at that point. What a creative way. And sure enough, at the end of 10 days, they looked fine. The steward said, no problem. You guys don't have to eat the food, drink the wine. For all of us who are God followers, we're in a place where often we're in the minority. But that shouldn't be cause for us to be antagonistic and mean and argumentative and bigoted. I mean, this is an opportunity for us to to get along as much as we possibly can. If there's a way to be conciliatory, take it. If there's a creative way to avoid tension, avoid it. But you and I know what this message is about. Sooner or later, life's going to put us in a situation where there can be no compromise. After all these years of doing their best and getting along with people and trying to be conciliatory, King Nebuchadnezzar, in order to unify his government, to do it the Babylonian way, he set up a statue. He set up an image, which was really, in a way, a tacit way of saying, everybody is to worship me. This was Nebuchadnezzar's image. And he said, everybody must bow to the image. And anyone who does not bow will be thrown into a furnace of fire. And the Bible is very clear, everybody bowed, except for three men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after doing everything they could to get along, said, 
we can't do this. If it's about us, we'll accept it. But if you force us to choose between God and you, (laughs) that decision is real clear. We will not bow. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Everybody bowing and these three guys standing. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you'll stand for? What are the values that you hold? That even if it meant your life, even if it meant you losing your job, even if it meant the ostracization of your family, what do you believe so much that you go to the wall for? Well, of course, it was very clear that if they didn't bow, they were, they were going to experience death. You know what stands out to me, church? I think there were a lot of people in that group who were bowing who didn't want to bow. I'm guessing in that sea of people who were bent over, I'm guessing there were a lot of people that struggled with bowing down before an image, and they didn't want to. It was just that the intimidation factor was so huge. My guess is this morning there are some of us who are bowing to statues in this world, and we don't really want to. We know better. It's just the intimidation factor. There's singles here today, and and, in the dating thing, you're sleeping around. You don't want to do it. You know it's wrong. Makes you feel cheap. But there's that intimidation factor that if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to find anybody. You're not going to be able to have dates. And so you bow. There are Christian men and women who are business people here today. And you you don't want to lie to make deals. You don't want to lie to your customers. You don't want to manipulate them, but... You're told that if you don't do that, you won't be able to have your job. You won't be able to have advance in your career. And so even though you don't want to do it, you go ahead and bow because the furnace seems too hot. There are people here today who say that they believe things that they don't believe. They find themselves in conversations where they won't stand up for what they know in their hearts is the right thing. But they think to themselves that if they were to stand up for what they believe, they might be called a bigot or a hate monger or would lose their friends. And so they bow. I dare, I'm sure the furnace looked hot to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the thing was, they decided in their hearts before they ever got to that moment, we will not compromise when it comes to our God. Their fear of insulting God was greater than their fear of the furnace. And you could say, well, Mark, listen, to be honest with you, I think these three guys are crazy. What difference would it make? I mean, I'm sure this is what they were told. What difference would it make if you bow down to the statue? I think that's what the king was trying to say to him. I think he was saying, I know you guys are slow. You're not from around here. You just don't understand the Babylonian way. We're going to give you one more chance to do what everybody else knows that they should do. And you could say, well, I think they're crazy. Well, let me ask you a question. Can you imagine how tall these three men stood in a sea of rear ends?
They said to the king, we're not going to be careful about how you answer, how we answer you. We believe our God is able to get us out of trouble. But if not, we want you to know we will never bow. You can scare us. You can heat the furnace up. You can call us names. You can get so angry at us that your face is contorted in rage. But we want you to understand we're going to be standing today and we're going to be standing tomorrow. And six months from now, we'll still be standing. And a thousand years from now, we're still going to be standing where we're standing. If our God gets us out of trouble, that's cool. If he doesn't, that's all right too. We just want you to know we're never going to bow. And my appeal today is to some young people who will just get that and say, I'm never going to bow. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to do my work. But if you tell me that I'm the product of random rolls of the cosmic dice, I'm not going to bow and say, I believe that I was evolved when instead I believe I was actually created by an everlasting God. I will not bow today. I will not bow tomorrow. I will do my assignments. I will regurgitate the information that you give to me. But at the end of the day, I am not going to bow today. I am not going to bow tomorrow. I am never going to bow. And some of you, I mean, your parents will not understand. Because we have a world, for, for many of us in my generation, are scared to death that we're going to be politically unpopular. I mean, some of you have dads who would sell their souls for a promotion. Some of you have moms who are 45 years old and are still running for prom queen. All I'm saying to you is, don't be afraid to stand up for God. king was so angry that he had them thrown into a furnace that was so hot that it incinerated the soldiers who put them in. And, and you, you just see, it was an irrational anger, wasn't it? He bound them up. I mean, ordinarily, you would think, you don't need to bind anybody up if you're going to throw, they're not going to be there that long. They're going to burn up in milliseconds. Fire was so hot, like I said, it killed the soldiers who put them in. Nebuchadnezzar's up on the amphitheater watching this whole thing at a safe distance, but he can see what's going on. Time out. See, here, here's the problem with so many of us who are God followers. All we can see is the vision of the earth. I mean, it's, it's this world system. Wow, if I do the right thing, I'm going to suffer for it. They're threatening me with a furnace of fire. They're threatening me with firing. They're threatening me with expulsion from the program. Th the world is threatening me. What we don't understand is that this is not the world that's ultimately in charge. I want to take you now to heaven because I, I get this scene in my head. It's heaven, Jesus is on the throne, he's working out administrative things, angels are all lined up getting assignments, you know, and they're all queued up waiting for him one by one to get what he wants them to do for the day, and all of a sudden Jesus stops and says, excuse me, excuse me a second here, I got something I need to do. And the Son of God stepped out of heaven and walked all the way to the earth in an instant and walked into the fire with these guys. In the Bible, there's something that we call Christophanies. That's a theological term. I'm sorry for it. Basically, what it means is, is it's a visual manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. In simple terms, it just means Jesus showed up before he was born. There are a handful of these in the Bible where it was so important that God didn't send an angel. Jesus showed up. And this was one of those occasions. God did not send an angel. Our, the one we know is Jesus walked out of heaven and walked into the fire. And I don't know what the conversation went like. I'm just hoping that God kept this on videotape. I'm hoping that it went something like this. 
fellas, it's nice to see you. You stood up for me, now I'm going to come stand with you. And what a moment. Because, you know, I think these guys probably had a little drama. They were probably walking around kind of warming their hands. Nebuchadnezzar's totally freaked out watching everything going. He just watched his best soldiers get incinerated, just coming to the mouth of the furnace. He looks down in the furnace, there are four guys walking around talking with each other. Nicodemus said to his brass, I got a math problem here going on in my head. Fellas, excuse me here. Just want to make one thing real clear here. Was it three we put in there? I see four, and that fourth one is really different. Yeah. Stand up for God and Jesus will come and stand with you. This and I'm through. I don't think any of us wants to go through the fire. I've been through it a few times. I mean, you know, you can be threatened by the religious community just like you can be threatened by the community outside. And I think I've, had more, I've gone through more fire from the religious community than anything else. You know, I, I know I say I hate religion, and guys, you just have to have lived where I've lived all these years. I mean, as pastor of this church, I've had people tell me, if you do the right thing, you're going to go through the fire. Well, I've been through the fire. But I can testify to you something that's really powerful. Anytime you go through the fire for God, the only thing that will burn is the ropes that bind you. See, here's the thing. So many of us are scared to do the right thing. We've been so threatened by the furnaces of this world. We have been so threatened by the politically correct police. We have been so threatened by the thoughts of this upside-down world. Hey, if you do the right thing, we're going to call you a name. Hey, if you do the right thing, you're going to never have anybody to date. If you do the right thing, you're never going to get a promotion. If you do the right thing, we're, you're not going to have any friends. If you do the right thing, we're going to fire you. And every time we hear those kinds of things, they become ropes, don't they? And how many of us are so far away from our values? The reason for that is, is we are so bound by ropes. And those ropes affect our relationships. They affect our marriages. Those of us who are parents, they affect our ability to parent. We just got ropes all around us. And we're so scared. Hey, how many of us ever dealt with a bully? Well, how do you deal with a bully? I mean, do you run from a bully? Do you pay blackmail to a bully? Or do you face him? That's the way you deal with the bully. And it's the same thing with the fire. If you go through the fire for God, the only thing that will burn off is the ropes. And then you will be dangerous because you will learn at that point nobody can ever intimidate you with furnaces. This has been a message for the courageous. My prayer, my hope is that we've got teenagers, young adults, college students here today who will say, I will never bow. You can scare me, you can threaten me, you can change my name, but I just want you to know, I will never bow to the image. Well, let me tell you this, if you're like that today, don't be afraid of being in the minority you can change the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will embolden a generation, not just of young people, but of all ages, so that we will not bow. Not as antagonistic, not as in your face with a sense of superiority, but as humble, hardworking people who love people 
and most of all, love God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.